0: birthday of school or something. And and I think her response was something like, how do you think it's going? You made me leave my best friends back in Florida. Even if you lose a million dollars in a bad bet, uh, there's always next year kind of thing. I think with with kids, you've only got kind of one shot.
1: Hey hey, hey. Hey guys, I'm Young, a full-time dad and a full-time professional with the goal to become the best parent possible. The Girl Dad Show is my journey, interviewing fellow working parents, aspiring to be both good at work and parenting. I'm gonna do this by gathering and sharing unfiltered perspectives from my guests. So join me as I research parenthood one interview at a time. Today's episode of The Girl Dad Show is sponsored by something I'm very passionate about, coffee. Blue Jean Coffee brings sophisticated coffee brewing straight into your home, delivering an elevated coffee experience all without having to make a trip to a cafe. They source their specialty beans directly from farmers all around the world and roast them in small batches just for your order. Are you ready to upgrade your home brewing experience? Blue Jean Coffee is offering a special deal just for Sounds my listeners. Really good. Visit bluegenecoffee.com forward slash TGDS to get 10% off your first order of Blue Jean Coffee. Oh, yeah. That's a good coffee. Awesome. love it michael thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today
0: great to uh great to join you and thanks for the invite
1: i'm really excited to talk to you about my favorite thing which is working and doing good work in the workplace and also being a good dad so i know that you have quite a quite a bit of experience doing both and i'm looking forward to unpacking that with you but before we get into that let's tell the listeners what do you do for a living
0: Yeah, great, young. I uh, work for a uh, a market research company called J.D. Power and get to work with uh, some of the world's top brands around uh, improving customer experience.
1: Yeah, I definitely know. uh, I'm very familiar with J.D. Power's. I mean, I feel like there's like a lot of people that use um, J.D. Power's ranking systems and surveys for their marketing and branding purposes, right? Like I think we all know about like all these like big companies that put it on their television commercials and, and all their different uh, marketing assets. So very, very cool. Yeah. Um, what are some of the big projects that you're working on?
0: Well, it's all about bringing the voice of the customer back to the brands, make sure that they're getting that outside in view and perspective. And uh, it, it's um, it, it really is encouraging working with some of the top brands about how focused they are on ensuring customers are getting a great experience and so just enjoy working with them to figure out what it is that customers are expecting and and how they can actually deliver on that
1: pretty interesting job and company to work for how'd you even get how'd you even get there like what was your what was your professional journey like
0: oh it's that that's a long story and i'm not sure we have the, the full hour to cover that but i would say yeah on and off uh in my career i started off as actually as a nuclear engineer and then uh, went to business school and kind of on and off over the past 30 years, I've been working either in management or as a consultant or advisor. Uh started my business career at Procter & Gamble, which was a great oh, wow. business start considering I had zero business experience and then went on into consulting and have uh, worked for, uh, for various companies in different industries uh, uh, since then.
1: That's amazing. Wait, so did you, did you actually get to use your nuclear science degree or did you just yeah. get the degree and then,
0: yeah. Yeah, I actually was on a, a nuclear powered submarine and uh, my, one of my jobs there was to supervise the uh, operations of the nuclear power plant. So I got to take all that theory and put it into practice. Holy smokes, this is amazing. How cool
1: is that? That's so wild. Okay, yeah. so then. So then what do you have to do? Is there like special schooling to work on this? Like, what do you have to do to become a a nuclear scientist?
0: So I was a mechanical engineer undergrad. And then after graduation, did a little bit of post-grad research and then went on to... The Navy's actually got a great program. It's six months of school uh, where essentially you repeat college. You repeat four years of college in six months. Uh, And then it's six months of working at a, um, a prototype. So this is actually... These are land-based uh, nuclear reactors uh, that students train on and uh, they're real and they they make real steam and power real steam generators. Wow. Uh, so six months of that where you get qualified uh, and then uh, four months of submarine school. And then after that, reporting to the submarine and you start all over again. Learning every single station and how to operate every pump and every valve and. Uh, and it's a, another long period of qualification. And then finally you're, you get your license. Wow.
1: That's insane. Yeah. That actually doesn't sound as, as complicated as I was thinking though, if that, if not mean to burst the bubble there, <laughs> I was expecting it to be a lot more strenuous than that. It sounds like it was uh it's, it sounds like it's a lot of layers and hoops, but is it that yeah, straightforward or.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a great training program and, and I find my, I. I when we're looking at training programs and kind of evaluating how effective they are, it gives me kind of a good benchmark for what really good training looks like because they've actually been through it. So
1: yeah, that's fantastic. So then what made the jump from, uh, from running a nuclear uh, power plant to uh, consulting? Yeah. What a jump. I mean, you kind of just glossed over it, but that's, I got to hear the middle ground there. Was it by any chance? Was it the kids?
0: Yeah, no, it's, um, after three and a half years on the same uh, boat, we were at sea for pretty much the entire time. And so that kind of ran its course. And I got out of the Navy, um, went to Chicago Booth for my MBA. Uh, and since I was an engineer, you know, finance was actually kind of a natural transition uh, for me. And uh, that's where I worked. So I, uh, Procter & Gamble, I worked in finance and strategy. And then uh, went to New York to work for a financial consulting firm. Uh, and then from there, it's been a, a series of um, kind of executive positions with companies uh, that are transforming themselves. I think is kind of the common theme uh, over the past um, since P and G days. So that's probably the past twenty years or so. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah. So it's mostly that
1: you went you went to school, you got your master's degree, and that kind of was the catalyst for the jump from nuclear engineering and operations to consulting?
0: Yeah, well, so, yeah, it is a good question because, you know, why not stay in nuclear power? And uh, the since Three Mile Island back in 1979 or whatever that was, we have not built a nuclear power plant in, in the United States. And so mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a limited number. And so your career prospects are fairly limited at this point. Hopefully. We'll get it figured out and uh, nuclear power will make a comeback but that's uh that, that's probably another podcast
1: no i know i i'm like i like don't want to dive too deep into that because i'm actually like it has nothing to do with being a parent and a working parent at that but like i'm like dying of curiosity just at a high level can i ask what is your stance so it sounds like you are you you, you think that we should have more right we should have more nuclear power plants
0: yeah and, and do, but do it in a safe way so yeah uh, yeah unfortunately with the um you know tragedy in japan uh, after the tidal wave, I think that set us back probably another 30, 40 years uh, in terms of nuclear um, power making a comeback, uh, but there are uh, much newer designs uh, and much safer ways uh, to do it. So,
1: yeah, I feel, like, I feel like when you look at it from a mathematical standpoint, when you read like the actual research around it, it seems like it's the most effective and efficient way to power the world. And we just need to be better about like managing its um, life cycle and, and its safety. But the reality of it, it has like a really weird, controversial branding to it. It's really interesting, right? It's like very, very um, fired in, in in bad connotations.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of baggage there. So that so it will take some time for that to wear off for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's let, let's get into the uh, let's get into the kids. So tell yeah. me about your kids. How many do you have, and who are they?
0: Oh, thanks, Young. So. so yeah, we have we have two children, Patrick, our son, who's twenty eight, and then Katie, our daughter, who's twenty seven. So, have, have one year it. apart. One year, yeah, eighteen months. Uh, so, um, pretty close. Uh, we uh, kind of got on that bandwagon and, and made it happen. So,
1: yeah, was that intentional or was that like? Cause I, I had that strategy. I wanted to have them all like really grouped close together. Cause I'm like, if I'm going to go through this, I'm going to go through it all at once. Right. Yeah. Like, cause I've heard a bunch of parents say like, um, you, you have to like, keep in mind that you have to do the diaper phase again, if you wait too long. And so you have to go through this phase, but now if you group them together, you could just have it all done at once. And then like the diapers are done and then this is done. And then like, you know, that's done. And like, you kind of group them, but was that intentional? Is that accidental?
0: I think it's just kind of the way nature works in our case. So <laughs> <Nice>.
1: <laughs> So I'm giving you a little too much credit there.
0: There's no strategy
1: behind that. Huh? Not a
0: lot of planning there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so what do the kids think about what you do? Do they even know what you do?
0: Yeah, we talk about it. I mean, one of the things of interesting things about working in market research and specifically around customer satisfaction and customer experience is that you get to hear everyone's stories. And it always starts with uh, their last trip, uh, the airline and the airport experience, and the transportation experience, and that's right, uh, the hotel experience, uh, and then uh, from there. So, uh, I spent a lot of time listening uh, to um, to uh, customer experience stories for sure.
1: And so they they get it; they understand what it is you do because, like, I, I feel like um I, I you know that I'm I've. Started consulting well, I guess you don't know that I started consulting last year, but I'm relatively new to consulting and um I try to explain it to my family and um it's really hard and then so when my kids ask me what I do or like the neighbors' kids ask me what I do, it's like really hard to like it's hard for me to explain it to an adult, but it's even harder for me to explain it to a four year old you know
0: it is, and you know so, so my yeah you know, my kids are at a point where they have their own you know they've graduated from college, they both have their master degrees at this point, oh wow. And uh, so they have their own, they're on their own career tracks. So I think it's probably easier for them to relate now. Uh, certainly much more easier than it was you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for sure. So
1: And so are you considered, are you like thinking that like, it's a lot easier now? Do you have any like sage advice coming from a, from a, from a dad that's, uh, that has, uh, you know, two adult children? And, you know,
0: it, it, some things uh, change dramatically and some things never change. Right. Uh, so, um it's, it's something, i think it's just a different set of challenges. Uh, so you know today where we are um our son has graduated um with a master in fine arts he's a playwright. Oh, and wow um yeah so and he he's and he's done some great work and uh, made some good progress but unfortunately with covid and the pandemic and the lockdowns uh, that really has put the entire you know theater community and um and arts in general really kind of on its back and so it's just kind of just now starting to, to come back a bit uh with um uh katie she works for a large insurance company as a software developer and um, so that was that no was, kidding yeah
1: your daughter's a software developer yes that's awesome that's so yeah. like that's so rare that's amazing
0: yeah. And there's kind of a little bit of a story there too, in terms of how she arrived at that, but, um, uh, she really likes it. Uh, she enjoyed her first, uh, since she graduated in 16. So she's in year, what, four or five now. Uh, really enjoyed her first couple of years as kind of an individual contributor mm-hmm. uh, because it's, you come in and put in your eight hours and you get your work done and you go home. Uh, but right. now she's been promoted a couple of times and starting to get into management and starting to feel that pain of, um, of, of what it's like to. She's no longer hourly. She's now on salary. and That's right. Uh, they do deliveries on Friday evenings. And so sometimes working till 10 or 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. Yeah. So starting to feel the pain of being in management.
1: Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's amazing. So what is the story? Because that's actually really unique. Um, we definitely don't have enough, uh, women engineers and we definitely don't have enough women engineers in insurance. So like, like, that's like a, that's like a unique on unique, uh, uh, placement there. Yeah.
0: So, so, um, Katie went to Boston college, uh, started off as a math major, made it through her first two years, I think. And then towards the end of her second year, she took a course called, um, his introduction to theoretical math. And it's just nothing but proofs. I saw kind of the writing on the wall of if you're a math major for your, your junior year and senior year, this is what you're going to be doing like all the time. And so she called us and said, you know, I'm not sure I want to be a math major anymore. <laughs> and had, had a couple of friends that were studying computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, BC at the time had kind of a smallish uh, computer science department and um, she decided to make the switch. So that was the end of her uh, sophomore year. So she had a friend uh, from high school. who went you know, went to university of Maryland who was a computer science major. And the previous summer she had attended this conference called women in computing. And um, so we talked to, to Katie about that and said, you know, even though you just changed your major, probably would be a good idea for you to go to this conference so you can kind of meet other college kids who are also computer science majors. That also gives you a kind of a feel for the industry and the companies and and that kind of thing. Uh, So we we paid for her uh, ticket. She stayed actually in a hotel with her friend from high school and they had the, uh, I think the CEO from Microsoft was the keynote speaker. And it was um, a great experience for her. Uh, so she actually came back um, from that. I think that I think that was the year. Is because it was before her junior year. Yeah. So she um, went to some of the keynote speeches and that kind of thing. But then the rest of it is just like a giant trade show for mm-hmm. recruiting women software engineers. Oh, wow. Walking the hall and. People, you know, companies are just grabbing her and like, come talk to her. Uh, so there was a another insurance company that said, come talk to us. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, she talked to them and like, we're going to meet this person. You have to meet that person. So she had those conversations. And then kind of at the end of the three or four conversations we're like, you should come and do an internship with us. Yeah. So, uh, so she had three or four of those types of conversations just in her first um, uh, conference. So one of the other insurance companies called her, I think, during the school year and said, "Hey, look, we'd like to like to fly you to uh, to Texas and essentially uh, have a conversation with you about why you should intern with our insurance company." Uh, so, uh, so she did that and uh, ended up interning there, and then now now she works there uh, full time. So that's wow. kind of the, the story. So. Yeah, really, really, really interesting kind of you know life changing, career changing experience for us, and, and we really kind of encourage that. So,
1: yeah, like it's it's actually fascinating to hear because that was what you said two thousand, you said sixteen, right? That was um, um
0: yeah. So that probably happened in like 2014 about that time frame. 14. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's That's actually really crazy because even that early on um, these companies were so aggressive in, in their recruiting tactics. Cause like you literally just painted a picture that sounds very reticent to like, like like recruiting like athletes, you know, at, at colleges, you know, like yeah. let me fly you out here, let me like to sell you on this internship, you know, and like uh, get you to like, get involved just to get to the end goal of getting them hired to the to the company as a software developer. I mean,
0: yeah, it was a little crazy because we were thinking Texas when our, our kids we we lived in New Jersey outside of New York City when they were growing up, and then uh, both our kids went to East Coast schools. so you know, Kitty went to school in Boston. So we're thinking she would end up in either in Boston or New York. Mm-hmm. Um, she also happens to be an ice skater, which is kind of another story. And they have ice skating in Boston and New York. They don't. They don't have ice skating in Texas. Uh, so, that, so, so we kind of thought, you know, that wasn't going to work. But in the end, it, it's it's worked out really well for her. So awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good segue actually because I, I actually want to know um, uh, about your childhood. What was your childhood like? Speaking of like being from New York, how did you grow up?
0: Oh, I yeah. So I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. So grew up in the Midwest. Nice Midwest guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, went to you know public schools. Um, we're, you know, I would describe our family as blue collar. So we all you know worked for a living, um, and uh, you know hourly wages, not salary, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So so, so I started you know working when I was 13 as a uh, dishwasher in a restaurant and kind of continue that all the way through high school. Um, mm-hmm. But my dad was a, uh, an engineer, and so looking at colleges, um, I just looked at engineering schools and had some great opportunities in the Midwest, but uh, ended up uh, going to the Naval Academy and uh, got my that's where I got my engineering degree.
1: Nice. So yeah. you, you grew up in an engineering family, so you just kind of followed follow the path.
0: Yeah, I I'm like well, so my you know my parents were divorced and so my, so my we visited my dad on the week, you know, weekends that kind of thing. So my yeah, my dad was an engineer. My mom worked in uh, in, in restaurants. Got
1: it. Yeah. So that's why you so you did some restaurant work and you did the engineering path.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of it was a way for my mom to kind of keep an eye on me and and then make you know eighty five cents an hour on the side. So that's awesome. I,
1: I have a feeling you're not even joking right now. That was like, yeah, that right.
0: was my, uh, that, yeah. When I was 13 as a dishwasher, that was my starting wage. 85 cents an hour.
1: Wild, and, and Wild That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. And so, um, and so how did you end up from there to the East coast? Did you, is that from the schooling and then what, what, yeah, what was the transitions?
0: Yeah. So, so went to college in Annapolis. Um, and then we did our, uh, our you know, five years of, um, training. And then, so, so the training was in Orlando and upstate New York and, uh, Gratton, New London, Connecticut. And then I ended up, my submarine was actually in San Diego, so I ended up in the, on the West coast.
1: Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And so do you think that your, um, your style of parenting is, uh, brought, brought in from your parents or do you feel like you're doing the opposite route or how, what do you, how are you parenting compared to your parents?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um I think a couple things. One is is it's always been kind of very collaborative, I think, uh, between my, you know, my wife and I uh in terms of our styles. We actually match pretty well. So so there haven't had a lot of yeah, battles over style or rules or or, or whatever, you know, for the most part. Um I would say my, you know, my dad was pretty strict, um, but but you know, living with my mom who is, you know, single mom and working all the time, uh, probably you know, less um, supervision, and um, involvement. So I, w- I would say our our style was different in that we were probably more involved, both uh, um, you know in the school and with ex- extracurriculars. Uh, you know, my wife, especially, who actually kind of uh, dropped out for a while and then went back to work, actually in the school, uh, so she could be you know within that education community and have the same calendars and, and that kind of thing. So that that ended up working pretty working out pretty well for us.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And and so, how do you um, how do you qualify a successful parenting?
0: It's so hard. You just laugh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, because we talk about this all the time. We've been really lucky. We, did, we didn't have any major challenges. Uh, our kids, uh, for the most part, um, did really well in school without a lot of, um, without, well, without too much um, pushing and supervision. Um, I, I know there are so many parents out there who, and, and I I just see it all the time, just people I know or work with, where uh, they've had really tough challenges. Maybe not with all their children, but with, but with at least you know one or two. So we we actually ended up having a, a pretty easy go of it. So we, so we kind of count ourselves lucky that way.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah how
0: how do you think you did that? You think it's just the way that you
1: that you raised them, or like? Maybe it's your maybe your yeah like maybe it's something you did that you could teach me here <laughs> because <laughs> my kids are my two girls are wild man they're
0: they're all over the place yeah so maybe a couple of things one is even when my kids were small we always kind of we never like spoke down to them we we always kind of spoke to them kind of at or above their level I um, think that helps we are also kind of looking ahead. And so like one of the big challenges with kids is what do you do in the summertime and how do you kind of keep them, um, you know, give them a break from school, but also kind of keep them engaged and and challenged and and that kind of thing. So probably my craziest summer idea that, and I don't know if I'd recommend this or not, but we, we essentially set a series of, um, goals and milestones for the summer. Uh, in terms of things to learn, and so I forget exactly everything on the list. My kids actually remember this, so they can tell you. But uh, one of the things we had Katie do was just write letters to um, her uh, favorite, you know, stars and celebrities and that kind of thing. And uh, I think she was, you know, into ice skating at the time, and so she wrote to some ice skaters. And and then she actually got replies back, you know, signed your photos, and that kind of thing. So, it was kind of fun. Uh, another thing on the list was um, I wanted them to learn how to make sushi. So, we bought a, a sushi roll making kit and uh, bought the rice and the seaweed and and uh, we had, I don't know, three or four other things kind of, you know, like that on the list. Uh, so, um it's kind of a fun summer. I, that may have been too aggressive in terms of.
1: <laughs> I, I think that the other question I have is the inverse of that. Like, uh, how do you how do you qualify success in
0: business? What it is you want you're trying to accomplish, you know, professionally, kind of combining that with you know, providing you know, for your family. So, so, so those two things, and I think it's kind of it's a little bit different for everybody. Um, some people want to be some people want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, some people just want to make a lot of money. some people want to do things that are interesting. Uh, and then you kind of combine that with um, your work life um, balance challenges and and so I, I don't think there's a single answer for everybody. It's, it really is I think, I think it's very you know personal um, that you have to, that you have to set for yourself.
1: Is that also the same for for raising your kids?
0: Yeah, I I I think that raising your kids is probably more high stakes. Um with you know, in, in business, uh there's a lot of uh ways to recover from mistakes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. There's not much you can't fix. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So even you know, even uh even if you uh lose a million dollars in a bad bet, uh there's always next year kind of yeah. thing. I think with, with kids you've only got kind of one shot. And it, it really even and when your kids are small, it, it, time kind of slows down. And uh, But what happens over time is uh, the clock actually kind of speeds up. And it, it's kind of get closer and closer to uh, you know leaving the house. Um, uh, I, I remember, I think it was when Patrick... It was the night before we were going to take Patrick off and drop him off at college for the first time. And I was thinking, I'm, I'm wondering if there's something that we forgot, like, like, is there something we forgot to teach him, you know, because you're, because at that point you kind of realize, um, you know, he's going to be gone and he's been, he's, he's essentially leaving the house with his set of experiences and everything that we you know taught him over the years. And it, it would be nice to kind of have a checklist for, you know, I know he can tie his shoes, but I'm not sure he knows how to use a can of her, you know?
1: That's awesome. So you're saying like, what, I I mean, just to get really laser into that, what what point does this start speeding up just so I can mark it in my mind? What age did you think that that actually started happening?
0: It starts, it starts happening when they start to get more involved um, with their friends and their extracurricular uh, activities. So I I would say probably middle school
1: is when things
0: really start to, accelerate. Yeah yeah it's awesome because then you're so you're so busy running around I mean you're busy now right with the the birthday parties and the dance lessons yeah. kind of thing right uh but once you know once the once they're they start um gravitating towards their peers and their friends and their teams uh that's when you, your your role in the picture actually starts to diminish a little bit so
1: did you have like any kind of struggles or workarounds for like when you had kids and you were building up your career? I mean, you're, 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 I'm sure that you said you hopped around quite a bit and I can't imagine like Procter and Gamble and all these other places being uh, easy to manage your schedule with, right? Like, what was that like?
0: Yeah. I, I, looking back, I, I think our, one of our big challenges was we started off in, in Cincinnati and uh, that's where, you know, both, both Katie and Patrick were both born there and working at, at P&G was, really straightforward career path. It's a promote from within company. And as long as you're doing well, you just keep getting promoted and uh, you'll, be, you'll be in Cincinnati quite a bit. It's a bit like the military in that they would deploy you to the Far East or Europe or something for that kind of broadening assignment. But you always ended up back in, in Cincinnati. Um, so we, I'm from Ohio. We like Cincinnati quite a bit. I my wife really liked it. And then I, um, I got a call from some University of Chicago guys who had kind of a high flying consulting practice in New York, and uh, that's something I wanted to you know take advantage of. And so we had a a little bit of a, a conflict um, with that conversation of do we uh, pull up our Ohio roots and move to New Jersey of all places um, to you know work in Manhattan, and and then the crazy thing about it is that since I'm from the Midwest, I ended up supporting all of our Midwest clients. Uh, So I spent most of my time flying out of Newark airport back to Michigan and Indiana and Ohio, uh, at which point my wife asked me, so explain to me again why we moved. (laughs) I'm assuming remote work wasn't
1: as big of a thing back then as it is now, right? Yeah. No, no, it was all,
0: actually when I I started uh, at P&G, it was suit and tie. And uh, you had to wear a white, white shirt. So no blue shirts were not acceptable. Wow the one, the one thing we did get there was that when you were in your office at your desk, you were allowed to take your jacket off.
1: Wow. Yeah. Seeing all these different changes in business in the world, like um, it's got to be really, really fun for you. Like, what do you think are some of the big ones that uh, you're able to impart upon your kids, kind of navigating the, their professional journey as they go through this?
0: Well, certainly, I think technology has done a lot to advance um, business and um, career opportunities, and my my kids have picked up on that. So, you know, so Katie's a developer. Um, Patrick actually majored in playwriting and computer science, mm-hmm. so um, so he actually got a job as a developer right out oh, of wow. the school. And but he's also written a play about artificial intelligence. So oh wow! Wow. So so-
1: that- yeah, yeah. So you kind of have engineering in in the family, like even even your uh, artist is actually uh, also a software developer.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he, he doesn't want to do that uh, full time, but um, this really helps pay the bills in the meantime.
1: Wow, that's amazing!
0: Always able to sell that first big script, you know. So.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's really yeah. cool that he has that kind of polarity because those are two very very extremely different things.
0: It is when you think about it, but. Um, I think there's room for creativity in business and I think that, you know, creative people can do very well if if you apply it the right way. So
1: yeah, I completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, and is, is arts and, um, like I guess just the arts, is that in your family or does that come from your wife or did you ever dabble in that?
0: My wife's brother is a writer. That's about as much direct connection as we can put on it. But, um, they were, uh, they were both kind of born that way. I mean, Patrick started putting on puppet shows when he was like four years old or something. So he's he's been a playwright from day one. Oh, wow.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's no camcorders back then. Or did you have any of that undocumented?
0: We 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 do have some. I think we must have some. It's it's the little um, cassette tapes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But I, I, at some point, I've got to get this um, or at least
1: get it to him to make him figure it out, because that'll be like great for him to like reference as part of his like, I don't know, like his playwright pitch. Right. Like I've been doing this since I was four. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I I don't know if this makes me a bad parent or not, but I took him to his first improv show. And and, and I discovered improv in New York, actually, from some through my cousin in Ohio who came to visit us and um, said, so I've, I've heard great things about this. Thing called UCB, which is Upright Citizens Brigade, mm-hmm. and um, twenty twenty Sixth Street or something like that. And yeah, I'm and- very familiar with that group. Okay. Yeah, so um I went to a show with them, and that's kind of cool. So it's like you go to this grocery store, and then you go down into the basement. And that's where the theater is, and it's like it's like you're in somebody's you know basement. Um, so took took Patrick, and I don't know. I don't think we took a friend. I just just Patrick. When He's I think when he was 13 to his first improv show, and uh, he loved it and yeah, he went to a bunch of them after that. And he started taking his friends into New York, and then they actually had a small team in high school, yeah. And then uh, when he went to college, he um, joined that team his uh, freshman year, so he was on that team for four years. And their final year, they uh, it turns out there's something called the the College Improv Championship, um, which consists of a series of um, you know regional qualifiers and then the top teams end up in Chicago for the national championship. So kind of on a whim, their school entered for the first time ever and they beat um, all the other New York schools. So they beat out NYU and the other New York schools. Went to the Mid-Atlantic Championships, beat up everybody there. So they ended up at nationals in Chicago. And there were a handful of colleges that had been doing this for years and had never won the national championship. And again, they were in the finals once again, um, against the Patrick's team. And then, um, Patrick's team won. They 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 won the national championship. They're for sure. sure.
1: So so Michael, you're the one who actually inspired that spark of art, artistry in him by yeah. taking him to the. Yeah, that's right.
0: Like I'll take uh, I'll take all the credit.
1: Yeah, it's all coming out now. You know, you took him yeah. when you were, when you was 13, and you kind of explored this new thing for him, and and he yeah. kind of just blossomed from there.
0: Yeah. Well, we did we did the same thing with Katie. So so Katie, I think my sister took Katie ice skating when she was six or something. And she liked it, started taking lessons and had kind of an individual career as a figure skater up until, I don't know, 10 or something like that. And then at that point, she switched to a sport called synchronized ice skating, which is between 16 and 20 kids on the ice at one time. And they skate around at high speed and do all kinds of formation work and jumps. And it's uh, it's, 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 it's a really kind of intricate sport. Uh, so she did that in high school, and then the reason she wanted to go to school in Boston is because they've got ice skating there and synchronized ice skating teams, and and she ended up being on kind of this all star college team in Boston, and uh, they ended up winning the national championship um, at, at one point as well. So awesome,
1: yeah. So do you have any like sage advice for people that are trying to grow their careers and also be good parents? It sounds like you were, you were able to do both uh, based on the fact that you have two adult children that are making, you know, good money and they seem like they're, they have good heads on their shoulders and you're also navigating a very successful consulting career. And what's, what's, what's your secret?
0: I I think, you know, I think the advice is that you, you, you always have to have kind of an overriding decision role. So as you, um, face conflicts and have to make choices, uh, you need, you know, what's the role that's going to, that's essentially going to be, um, the thing that overrides everything else. And, and in my mind, that's, I think that's gotta be your kids. So if, um, it comes down to having to make some sort of a choice about your career, that would, um, really kind of, you know, set your kids back. And like an example for us would be, we moved, um, I think, you know, when, when the kids were younger, uh, we moved several times up until the, um, maybe the second grade and we moved, I think it's the last time we really moved, moved from Florida back to New Jersey. And uh, so I called my daughter from work and asked her how, uh, how it was going and uh, like her first day of school or something. And, and I think her response was something like, yeah, how do you think it's going? You made me leave my best friends back in Florida.
1: Oh my gosh. So upset with you.
0: So we uh, so at that point we made the decision that okay we're done, um, and uh, I think it's probably first grade, second grade, that kind of time frame, and then that gave the kids the chance to really kind of establish their community and network and you know, with, within uh, the school, and we kind of stayed until um, they were both off in college, and we had the chance to move back to California.
1: Nice. Yeah. So you started to make those kind of decisions, and you just have like an override rule essentially. So when did you develop that override rule? Was it that moment when Katie said, hey, like you moving us here and me losing my friends, that was the moment?
0: Yeah, probably even before that, because early on, and and you guys may be at this point, um, when when the kids are babies, you're traveling with them to go see your parents for Christmas or holidays or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think we probably made this call Probably when they were three or four years old, um, we're done traveling, we're, we're done making our kids fly in an airplane for Christmas, they're gonna wake up Christmas morning in their own home. Um, and, and that was kind of the rule from that point forward. So, and offered my parents the opportunity to come visit, but we weren't going to, um, kind of yank our kids, uh, you know, out of that experience so we could go visit, you know, the grandparents. Yeah,
1: wow. Oh. It was like a very early on decision. Yeah. And that decision was made because you wanted to create some roots or you wanted to give them some yeah, like semblance right. of
0: like I think that's right. It's just yeah, you know, it, it, it's part of part of it is um experience that you bring from your own, you know, childhood. But but um I'd say like another thing that we did was we knew that once they got into high school and, and with the sports teams and that and that kind of thing, we were gonna start losing our summers. So we wanted to do some international travel with them, uh, but you, you really kind of kind of do that when they're too young because they won't remember or get the most out of it. Yeah. So kind of in the middle school years, we made a very conscious decision to to take these kind of international trips with them while we still had time. So the first year we we made it really simple. We just went to London, stayed in one hotel. And did everything because that was kind of our home base. And uh, we did the Harry Potter tour. Nice. And the Power of London and, and all the stuff that you know you do in London. Uh, the second year, we went to Paris. And same thing. Just uh, found one hotel made at our base. Um, with the trains in Paris, you can take the commuter train out to the... Um, is it the, the, the Louvre? Or?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: And then, and then, but the, but then the train going the other way goes to what used to be called um, Paris on uh, Disneyland. I, I don't know what it's called now, Euro Disney, or so we got all that in. Uh, and then the third summer, uh, my son really wanted to go to Amsterdam, so I don't know why, but we uh, flew into Amsterdam and then rented a, a station wagon, nice, uh, and uh, and then drove up to see her. Relatives in Sweden, so we we kind of got all of that you know out of the way before, because the summer after that is when you know football started and we started losing our summers and so forth. So, so, so that so I think that would be another piece of advice it would be kind of that those few years between elementary and high school um, are kind of a, you know, a special time. It's really going to be like kind of the last few summers we have like complete control. So,
1: oh. That's yeah. really good advice. Yeah. So that kind of is more directly into um, the the next questions. But uh, I was going to literally say, what advice do you have for other parents and soon to be parents? But I'd say that that qualifies really good advice. That's very tactical advice. Very, uh, very engineering of you. <laughs> the timeline of, of the growth of kids and when to actually tactically and strategically take your vacations and build that uh, that uh, sense of... Uh, a family
0: tradition that's fantastic do you have any other advice that you give soon-to-be parents so back when when my kids were smaller there was um or younger uh there were some books out about you know what your kids need to know but and i I don't think they they probably still have these so so what your first grader needs to know your second grader needs to know that kind
1: of thing yeah and
0: um i I thought those those books were were kind of cool because they Kind of stretch your thinking in terms of the different types of things your kids should be exposed to, or types of experiences that they sh- should have or the types of things they should be reading. Mm-hmm. so going back
1: to the advice, so the the kind of the know what stage your kid is at
0: yeah, so so stretch your thinking a bit. Um, as an engineering major, I, I took maybe one English course and zero art history courses, so uh, that that kind of stuff was you know, foreign to me, uh, but yeah, but totally, I can reading, see that. Re- reading those kind of things, that, that's that's interesting. So, and then just encouraging your kids, you know, take them. I don't know what the equivalent today is of taking your kids to the library, but I know when I was growing up, I used to love going to the library. Yeah, it was like this place where they had all these books and all of this. Um, potential you know knowledge and i could i could just spend hours just walking the stacks and pulling out books and reading and and uh, i'm 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 not sure if we've lost a bit of that you know today with um between the video games and the podcasts uh and and so forth but um but uh any the
1: podcast that we're that we're we're
0: on right now yeah yeah but uh any kind of um Experiences that stretch them a bit in terms of what what they've been exposed to, and and uh, I, I suppose even like mini courses. My my daughter actually for Christmas got me a subscription to MasterClass.
1: Yeah, that's pretty fun. I, I
0: don't know if you subscribe to that or not, but I thought it would be you get to pick like six experts and you can study all their videos, but you actually have access to everybody.
1: That's right. Yeah, and
0: so I, I so I started off with you know Annie Leibovitz and. Spent a few weeks with her kind of sitting through her stuff on photography. But now I've switched over to Thomas Keller mm-hmm. at the French Laundry. Uh nice. who's, and it truly is a master class on here's how you cook carrots. And here's how he's actually got seven lessons on how to cook an egg. Uh it's yeah.
1: It's a fun, it's a fun class. Yeah. It's a master class yeah. is a great subscription. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I love it. Uh, so, so that kind of thing, and actually, a, a good friend of mine uh, bought subscriptions for his kids. So that's why I first learned about it. Uh, but, but any kind of experience or um, education or, or or kind of training that's kind of outside the norm, that would kind of push yeah. their boundaries. So I would I would highly encourage it. And and by the way, the international travel that we did really, yeah. Great. Because when they got to college, they weren't afraid of it. So, so Patrick did a semester in London and actually joined uh, an improv team in London while he was there. Uh, awesome. And then, um, awesome. Katie, Katie did a few weeks. Um, she she couldn't do study abroad during the school year because of skating. So she would go in the summer. So she did one summer in Dublin, and then another um, another summer in uh, Venice, and yeah. had no qualms about flying over there and spending the summer there. And I truly feel
1: like travel is like one of the great um, mind openers, right? Because it like gives you like perspective and um, uh, like an understanding that the world is much bigger than you uh, at the root cause. Right. Like and it's just an incredible mind uh, opening exercise and activity to do with especially younger mind, because I remember growing up and anytime I travel, even within the States, actually, like didn't even have to be international, just even going to like Montana. I'm like, wait, people live like this and they think like this This is awesome. You know, it's like so right. different than the way I live and think, yeah. you know, and like, and so I think it's really, really a good advice to um, try to figure out how you can squeeze and travel and just broaden your kids horizons of like how the world works and and how people live, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah if, I I, th- I think another piece of it is you, you you have to kind of I mean your kids are going to have their own aptitudes and their own likes and dislikes and you don't really want to force anything and so yeah so one of our conflicts was um uh, band so so in elementary school everybody's in the band so, so everybody yeah it's part of your education mm-hmm. you, uh, you get an instrument mm-hmm And I think Katie was French horn. Patrick was on trombone and um, you, you will reach a point where you got to make a a call on whether they continue that or not. So Katie uh, continued on into high school. Patrick put a hard stop down at at middle school. So that, so that we, we dropped the trombone, but we didn't, um, we didn't force the issue. That that was at at some point start making their decisions and, and um, they have other interests and, And and so that's something, something that you'll, you'll need to, you know, think about and how, how do you, you know, how do you make those kind of decisions? So,
1: yeah, no, it's really great advice. And I think it's about like, what you're saying is like, just expose them to a lot and like just be there to offer those opportunities, but not necessarily force those directions for them.
0: Yeah. I I, I don't know if you watch the Olympics or not, but I noticed several of the athletes in the Olympics this summer were coached by their parents and oh, the story, wow. like, like one of the swimmers, you know, the, the story was uh, her parents started her swimming at a young age and, and they, they were counting the number of laps she did per week. And it just kept multiplying by the thousands of laps, you know, each year. And yeah, that was great. And, and I would say that as long as she was having fun and, and getting a lot of, out of it, you know, keep encouraging it. Um, and, and essentially that feels like what it takes to get into the Olympics is starting at a young age with your heavy your parent involvement and, uh, just, you know, parents pushing them the entire way. Uh, but, um, yeah. I, I, I think there's also some trade-offs there. So you, you have to be a little bit careful about making sure you're you know balancing that correctly. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Michael, let me, um, let me switch gears here. Cause I, I've been trying to. Be mindful of everyone's times that I interview and especially yours, because I know how busy your calendar is. and I can actually hear your calendar notifications going off as well. So let me let me let me fire off my uh, last couple of questions here in rapid fire. So that way we yeah. can get um, the, the same questions asked to everybody, because I like to ask the same last four questions to every guest. So at least even if the conversation goes free will, there's um, some symmetry to it. Sure. So I got one in, which is the advice for other parents. But let me ask you this. OK, what is the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself becoming a parent?
0: That we're actually able to, to figure it out without a handbook.
1: Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel the exact same way. I'm like, I was reading so much stuff before I had my kid and then um, it came so much more naturally than I thought it would. Uh, I just felt like it was the most unnatural thing for me to be a dad.
0: When our son was born, you know, the next day they sent us home and I, I kept thinking to myself like, you're letting us leave the hospital with this baby? Like, we, don't, we have no idea what we're doing. That's right. That's right.
1: Like, isn't there like an instruction manual or like some sort of like certification to make sure I'm good with this? Yeah. And then, um, what is your all time favorite business book?
0: Oh, my all time favorite business book is the one I'm always reading currently. So the one I'm reading right now is a book called Persuasion. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm
1: familiar with it. yeah,
0: Yeah. Series of case studies and, and actual science behind, um, uh, why people commit to things and uh kind of the science uh behind that it's that kind of thing is really interesting to me
1: yeah and it's probably really really um timely and good for you especially in the current role that you're at right because i mean you're kind of always persuading people aren't you like you're you're kind of like a master persuader as a as a, as a consultant service provider like that, right?
0: Well, you, you always want to be empathetic and put yourself in the other people's shoes and, and
1: it really is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of mechanics to that stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. It makes me want to brush up on it and uh, read it again as well. I read it a couple of years ago. It's a really yeah. good book though. Yeah. If you can go back and tell yourself one thing before
0: having kids, what would it be? Your kids are going to remember a lot more than you uh, think they do. Uh, so, so even now, uh, my kids were actually were in town for my birthday last week and weekend, and we we're kind of reflecting back on some things that happened kind of early in their childhood, and they were telling me the story, and I'm like, "You remember that?
1: <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome!"
0: So the kids, they will study you, uh, and and your actions and behaviors, and they will remember everything that you say. So, <laughs> that's that's really really uh, interesting comment. Yeah. They you uh, uh they may not seem like they're listening but they are. So uh
1: so, so you want to be Yeah, and they remember it. it. Cuz I know yeah, that they they listen to everything I say. Yeah. Yes. I didn't yeah. know that they remembered it. That's really
0: good. It's crazy. It's crazy. We were yeah, we were, like, I was talking to my son last weekend about something that happened when he was 5 or 6 or something and he he Yeah we actually took a vacation to Santa Barbara and we took him to a Pokemon movie and he mm-hmm. could tell us everything that happened that day. It was like I can't it's amazing. I don't even remember that. So I'm going to I'm going to keep that in mind as I start to
1: play with my kids uh, today and ongoing. <laughs> so um uh, Michael just um to, to bring us home like when you're not being a super dad and uh, a super professional, what do you do for fun for yourself?
0: We uh, we like wine. So nice. Is that the secret to being a super dad? A super- that could be a secret to being a super dad. So, uh, yeah. There you go.
1: Got it. Okay. Duly noted. I love it. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to meet with me and talk to me about, uh, uh, about your parenting and, and, and your professional career here. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Young, and, and, and great to talk to you about it.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Girl Dad Show. We really hope you enjoyed that interview. And as always, please take a moment to review, rate, and subscribe.